0: Section six of The Wood Beyond the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Corrie Samuel. The Wood Beyond the World by William Morris. Chapter sixteen. Of The King's Son and the Maid. But as for Walter, He went out of the house again, and fared slowly over the wood-lawns, till he came to another close thicket or break. He entered from mere wantonness, or that he might be the more apart and hidden, so as to think over his case. There he lay down under the thick boughs, but could not so herd his thoughts, that they would dwell steady in looking into what might come to him within the next days. Rather visions of those two women and the monster did but float before him, and fear and desire and the hope of life ran to and fro in his mind. As he lay thus he heard footsteps drawing near, and he looked between the boughs, and though the sun had just set, he could see close by him a man and a woman going slowly, and they hand in hand. At first he deemed it would be the king's son and the lady, But presently he saw that it was the king's son indeed, but that it was the maid whom he was holding by the hand. And now he saw of him that his eyes were bright with desire, and of her that she was very pale. Yet when he heard her begin to speak, it was in a steady voice that she said, King's son, thou hast threatened me oft and unkindly, and now thou threatenest me again and no less unkindly. But whatever were thy need herein before, now is there no more need, for my mistress, of whom thou wert weary, is now grown weary of thee, and belike will not now reward me for drawing thy love to me, as once she would have done, to wit, before the coming of this stranger. Therefore I say, since I am but a thrall, poor and helpless, betwixt you two mighty ones, I have no choice but to do thy will. As she spoke she looked all round about her, as one distraught by the anguish of fear. Walter, amidst of his wrath and grief, had well-nigh drawn his sword and rushed out of his lair upon the king's son, but he deemed it sure that, so doing, he should undo the maid altogether, and himself also belike, so he refrained him, though it were a hard matter. The maid had stayed her feet now close to where Walter lay, some five yards from him only, and he doubted whether she saw him not from where she stood. As to the king's son, he was so intent upon the maid, and so greedy of her beauty, that it was not like that he saw anything. Now, moreover, Walter looked, and deemed that he beheld something through the grass and bracken on the other side of those two an ugly, brown and yellow body, which, if it were not some beast of the fumart kind, must needs be the monstrous dwarf or one of his kin, and the flesh crept upon Walter's bones with the horror of him. But the king's son spoke unto the maid, Sweetling, I shall take the gift thou givest me, neither shall I threaten thee any more, howbeit thou givest it not very gladly or graciously. She smiled on him, with her lips alone, For her eyes were wandering and haggard. My lord, she said, Is not this the manner of women? Well, he said, I say that I will take thy love even so given. Yet let me hear again that thou lovest not that vile newcomer, And that thou hast not seen him, Save this morning along with my lady. Nay thou, thou shalt swear it, what shall I swear by?" she said. Quoth he, Thou shalt swear by my body. And therewith he thrust himself close up against her. But she drew her hand from his, and laid it on his breast, and said, I swear it by thy body. He smiled on her licorously, and took her by the shoulders and kissed her face many times, and then stood aloof from her, and said, Now have I had Hansel but tell me, when shall I come to thee?" She spoke out clearly. Within three days at furthest, I will do thee to wit of the day and the hour to-morrow, or the day after. He kissed her once more, and said, "'Forget it not, or the threat holds good.' And therewith he turned about, and went his ways toward the house and Walter saw the yellow-brown thing creeping after him in the gathering dusk. As for the maid, she stood for a while without moving, and looking after the king's son and the creature that followed him. Then she turned about to where Walter lay, and lightly put aside the boughs, and Walter leapt up, and they stood face to face. She said softly but eagerly, "'Friend, touch me not yet.' he spake not but looked on her sternly she said thou art angry with me still he spake not but she said friend this at least i will pray thee not to play with life and death with happiness and misery dost thou not remember the oath which we swore each to each but a little while ago and dost thou deem that i have changed in these few days Is thy mind concerning thee and me the same as it was? If it be not so, now tell me. For now have I the mind to do, As if neither thou nor I are changed to each other. Whoever may have kissed mine unwilling lips, Or whomsoever thy lips may have kissed. But if thou hast changed, And wilt no longer give me thy love, Nor crave mine, Then shall this steal. And she drew a sharp knife from her girdle. Be for the fool and the dastard who hath made thee wroth with me, My friend, and my friend that I deemed I had won. And then let come what will come. But if thou be nought changed, and the oath yet holds, Then, when a little while hath passed, May we thrust all evil and guile and grief behind us, And long joy shall lie before us, and long life, and all honour in death. If only thou wilt do as I bid thee, O my dear, and my friend, and my first friend. He looked on her, and his breast heaved up, As all the sweetness of her kind love took hold on him, And his face changed, and the tears filled his eyes, And ran over, and rained down before her, And he stretched out his hand toward her. Then she said, exceedingly sweetly, Now indeed I see that it is well with me, Yea, and with thee also. A sore pain it is to me, That not even now may I take thine hand, And cast mine arms about thee, And kiss the lips that love me. But so it has to be. My dear, even so I were fain to stand here long before thee, Even if we spake no more words to each other. But abiding here is perilous, For there is ever an evil spy Upon my doings, Who has now, as I deem, Followed the king's son to the house, But who will return When he has tracked him home thither, So we must sunder. But belike, there is yet time For a word or two. First, the reed which I had thought on For our deliverance is now afoot, Though I durst not tell thee thereof, Nor have time thereto. But this much shall I tell thee that whereas great is the craft of my mistress in wizardry, yet I also have some little craft therein, and this, which she hath not, to change the aspect of folk so utterly that they seem other than they verily are. Yea, so that one may have the aspect of another. Now the next thing is this, whatsoever my mistress may bid thee, do her will therein, with no more naysaying than thou deemest may please her and the next thing. Wheresoever thou mayest meet me, speak not to me, make no sign to me, even when I seem to be all alone, till I stoop down and touch the ring on my ankle with my right hand. But if I do so, then stay thee, without fail, till I speak. The last thing I will say to thee, dear friend, ere we both go our ways, this it is. When we are free, and thou knowest, all that I have done, I pray thee, deem me not evil and wicked, and be not wroth with me for my deed, whereas thou wottest well that I am not in like plight with other women. I have heard tell that when the knight goeth to the war, and hath overcome his foes by the shearing of swords and guileful tricks, and hath come back home to his own folk, they praise him, and bless him, and crown him with flowers, and boast of him before God in the minster. For his deliverance of friend, and folk, and city. Why shouldst thou be worse to me than this? Now all is said, my dear and my friend, Farewell, farewell. Therewith she turned, and went her ways Toward the house in all speed, But making somewhat of a compass. And when she was gone, Walter knelt down, And kissed the place where her feet had been, And arose thereafter and made his way toward the house, he also, but slowly, and staying oft on his way. Chapter 17 Of The House and the Pleasance in the Wood On the morrow morning Walter loitered a while about the house, till the morn was grown old, and then about noon he took his bow and arrows, and went into the woods to the northward, to get him some venison. He went somewhat far ere he shot him a fawn, and then he sat him down to rest under the shade of a great chestnut-tree, for it was not far past the hottest of the day. He looked around thence, and saw below him a little dale with a pleasant stream running through it, and he bethought him of bathing therein, so he went down, and had his pleasure of the water and the willowy banks, for he lay naked a while on the grass, by the lip of the water, for joy of the flickering shade and the little breeze that ran over the down-long ripples of the stream. Then he did honour his raiment, and began to come his ways up the bent, but had scarce gone three steps ere he saw a woman coming towards him from downstream. His heart came into his mouth when he saw her, for she stooped and reached down her arm, as if she would lay her hand on her ankle so that at first he deemed it had been the maid, but at the second eye-shot he saw that it was the mistress. She stood still and looked on him, so that he deemed she would have him come to her. She stood still and looked on him, so that he deemed she would have him come to her. So he went to meet her, and grew somewhat shamefaced as he drew nigher, and wondered at her, For now was she clad but in one garment of some dark grey, silky stuff, Embroidered with, as it were, a garland of flowers about the middle, But which was so thin that, as the wind drifted it from side and limb, It hid her no more, but for the said garland, than if water were running over her. Her face was full of smiling joy, and content, as she spake to him, In a kind, caressing voice, and said, "'I give thee good day, good squire,' And well art thou met. And she held out her hand to him. He knelt down before her, and kissed it, And abode still upon his knees, And hanging down his head. But she laughed outright, And stooped down to him, And put her hand to his arms, And raised him up, and said to him, What is this, my squire, That thou kneelest to me as to an idol? He said, faltering, I wot not, but perchance thou art an idol, and I fear thee. What? she said, more than yesterday, whenas thou sawest me afraid. Said he, yea, for that now I see thee unhidden, and meseemeth there hath been none such since the old days of the Gentiles. She said, hast thou not yet bethought thee of a gift to crave of me, a reward for the slaying of mine enemy, and the saving of me from death. "'O my lady,' he said, "'even so much would I have done for any other lady, or forsooth for any poor man, for so my manhood would have bidden me. Speak not of gifts to me, then. Moreover,' and he reddened therewith, and his voice faltered, "'Didst thou not give me my sweet reward yesterday? What more durst I ask?' She held her peace a while, and looked on him keenly, and he reddened under her gaze. Then wrath came into her face, and she reddened, and knit her brows, and spake to him in a voice of anger, and said, Nay, what is this? It is growing in my mind that thou deemest the gift of me unworthy. Thou, an alien, an outcast, one endowed with the little wisdom of the world without the wood. And here I stand before thee, all-glorious in my nakedness, and so fulfilled of wisdom, that I can make this wilderness, to any whom I love, more full of joy than the kingdoms and cities of the world. And thou, ah! but it is the enemy that hath done this, and made the guileless guileful. Yet will I have the upper hand at least, though thou suffer for it, and I suffer for thee." Walter stood before her with hanging head, and he put forth his hands as if praying off her anger, and pondered what answer he should make, for now he feared for himself and the maid. So at last he looked up to her, and said boldly, Nay, lady, I know what thy words mean, whereas I remember thy first welcome of me. I wot forsooth that thou wouldst call me base-born, and of no account, and unworthy to touch the hem of thy raiment, and that I have been overbold and guilty towards thee, And doubtless this is sooth, and I have deserved thine anger. But I will not ask thee to pardon me, for I have done but what I must needs. She looked on him calmly now, and without any wrath, But rather as if she would read what was written in his inmost heart. Then her face changed into joyousness again, And she smote her palms together, and cried out, This is but foolish talk, for yesterday did I see thy valiancy, and to-day I have seen thy goodliness. And I say, that though thou mightest not be good enough for a fool woman of the earthly baronage, yet art thou good enough for me, the wise and the mighty and the lovely. And whereas thou sayest that I gave thee but disdain when first thou camest to us, grudge not against me therefore, because it was done but to prove thee, and now thou art proven. Then again he knelt down before her, and embraced her knees, And again she raised him up, and let her arm hang down over his shoulder, And her cheek brush his cheek, and she kissed his mouth, and said, Hereby is all forgiven, both thine offence and mine, And now cometh joy and merry days. Therewith her smiling face grew grave, and she stood before him, Looking stately, and gracious, and kind at once. And she took his hand, and said, Thou mightest deem my chamber In the golden house of the wood, over queenly, Since thou art no masterful man. So now hast thou chosen well The place wherein to meet me to-day, For hard by on the other side of the stream Is a bower of pleasance, Which, forsooth, not every one Who cometh to this land may find. There shall I be to thee, as one of the up-country damsels of thine own land, and thou shalt not be abashed. She sidled up to him as she spoke, and would he, would he not, her sweet voice tickled his very soul with pleasure, and she looked aside on him, happy and well content. So they crossed the stream, by the shallow, below the pool wherein Walter had bathed, and within a little they came upon a tall fence of flake hurdles, and a simple gate therein. The lady opened the same, and they entered thereby into a close, all planted as a most fair garden, with hedges of rose and woodbine, and with linden-trees a-blossom, and long ways of green grass, betwixt borders of lilies and clove-gilly-flowers, and other sweet garland flowers. And a branch of the stream, which they had crossed erewhile, wandered through that garden, and in the midst was a little house built of post and pan, and thatched with yellow straw, as if it were new done. Then Walter looked this way and that, and wondered at first, and tried to think in his mind what should come next, and how matters would go with him, but his thought would not dwell steady on any other matter than the beauty of the lady amidst the beauty of the garden. And withal, She was now grown so sweet and kind, And even somewhat timid and shy with him, That scarce did he know whose hand he held, Or whose fragrant bosom and sleek side Went so close to him. So they wandered here and there Through the waning of the day, And when they entered at last Into the cool dusk house, Then they loved and played together, As if they were a pair of lovers guileless, With no fear for the morrow, AND NO SEEDS OF ENMITY AND DEATH SOWN BETWIXT THEM. CHAPTER eighteen, THE MAID GIVES WALTER TRYST Now on the morrow, when Walter was awake, he found there was no one lying beside him, and the day was no longer very young. So he arose, and went through the garden from end to end, and all about, and there was none there, and albeit that he dreaded to meet the lady there, yet was he sad at heart, and fearful of what might betide. Howsoever, he found the gate whereby they had entered yesterday, and he went out into the little dale. But when he had gone a step or two, he turned about, and could see neither garden, nor fence, nor any sign of what he had seen thereof but lately. He knit his brow, and stood still to think of it, and his heart grew the heavier thereby. But presently he went his ways and crossed the stream, but had scarce come up onto the grass on the further side ere he saw a woman coming to meet him, and at first, full as he was of the tide of yesterday and the wondrous garden, deemed that it would be the lady. But the woman stayed her feet, and stooping laid a hand on her right ankle, and he saw that it was the maid. He drew an eye to her, and saw that she was not so sad of countenance as the last time she had met him, but flushed of cheek and bright-eyed. As he came up to her, she made a step or two to meet him, holding out her two hands, then refrained her, and said, smiling, "'Our friend, belike this shall be the last time that I shall say to thee, Touch me not, nay not so much as my hand, or if it were but the hem of my raiment the joy grew up in his heart, and he gazed on her fondly, and said, Why, what hath befallen of late? O friend, she began, this hath befallen. But as he looked on her, the smile died from her face, and she became deadly pale to the very lips. She looked askance to her left side, whereas ran the stream, and Walter followed her eyes, and deemed for one instant that he saw the misshapen yellow visage of the dwarf peering round from a grey rock. But the next there was nothing. Then the maid, though she was as pale as death, went on in a clear, steady, hard voice, wherein was no joy or kindness, keeping her face to Walter and her back to the stream. This hath befallen, friend, that there is no longer any need to refrain thy love, nor mine, Therefore I say to thee, come to my chamber, and it is the red chamber over against thine, though thou knewest it not, an hour before this next midnight, and then thy sorrow and mine shall be at an end, and now I must needs depart, follow me not, but remember. And therewith she turned about, and fled like the wind down the stream. But Walter stood wondering. AND KNEW NOT WHAT TO MAKE OF IT, WHETHER IT WERE FOR GOOD OR ILL, FOR HE KNEW NOW THAT SHE HAD PALED, AND BEEN SEIZED WITH TERROR BECAUSE OF THE UPHEAVING OF THE UGLY HEAD, AND YET SHE HAD seemed TO SPEAK OUT THE VERY THING SHE HAD TO SAY. HOWSOEVER IT WERE, HE SPAKE ALOUD TO HIMSELF, WHATEVER COMES, I WILL KEEP TRYST WITH HER. THEN HE DREW HIS SWORD, and turned this way and that, looking all about, if he might see any sign of the evil thing, but nought might his eyes behold, save the grass, and the stream, and the bushes of the dale. So then, still holding his naked sword in his hand, he clomb the bent out of the dale, for that was the only way he knew to the golden house. And when he came to the top, and the summer breeze blew in his face, and he looked down a fair green slope, beset with goodly oaks and chestnuts, he was refreshed with the life of the earth, and he felt the good sword in his fist, and knew that there was might and longing in him, and the world seemed open unto him. So he smiled, if it were somewhat grimly, and sheathed his sword, and went on toward the house. End of section 6